This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Ranald Bannerman's Boyhood by George MacDonald Chapter 17 The Trouble Grows When I woke in the morning, I tried to persuade myself that I had made a great deal too much of the whole business, that if not a dignified thing to do, it was at worst but a boy's trick. Only I would have no more to say to Peter Mason, who had betrayed me at the last moment without even the temptation of any benefit to himself. I went to school as usual. It was the day for the shorter catechism. None failed but Peter and me, and we too were kept in alone and left in the schoolroom together. I seated myself as far away from him as I could. In half an hour he had learned his task, while I had not mastered the half of mine. Thereupon he proceeded, regardless of my entreaties, to prevent me learning it. I begged and prayed and appealed to his pity, but he would pull the book away from me, gabble bits of ballads in my ear as I was struggling with effectual calling, tip up the form in which I was seated, and, in short, annoy me in twenty different ways. At last I began to cry, for Mason was a bigger and stronger boy than I, and I could not help myself against him. Lifting my head after the first vexation was over, I thought I saw a shadow pass from the window. Although I could not positively say I saw it, I had a conviction it was Turkey, and my heart began to turn again towards him. Emboldened by the fancied proximity, I attempted my lesson once more, but that moment Peter was down upon me like a spider. At last, however, growing suddenly weary of the sport, he desisted and said, Ran, you can stay if you like. I have learned my catechism, and I don't see why I should wait his time. As he spoke, he drew a picklock from his pocket. His father was an ironmonger, deliberately opened the schoolroom door, slipped out, and locked it behind him. Then he came to one of the windows and began making faces at me. But vengeance was nigher than he knew. A deeper shadow darkened my page, and when I looked up, there was Turkey towering over Mason, with his hand on his collar and his whip lifted. The whip did not look formidable. Mason received the threat as a joke, and laughed in Turkey's face. Perceiving, however, that Turkey looked dangerous, with a sudden wriggle, at which he was adept, he broke free, and, trusting to his tried speed of foot, turned his head and made a grimace as he took to his heels. Before, however, he could widen the space between them sufficiently, Turkey's whip came down upon him. With a howl of pain, Peter doubled himself up, and Turkey fell upon him, and heedless of his yells and cries, pummeled him severely. Although they were now at some distance, too great for the distinguishing of words, I could hear that Turkey mingled admonition with punishment. A little longer, and Peter crept past the window, a miserable mass of collapsed and unstrung impudence, his face bleared with crying, and his knuckles dug into his eyes. And this was the boy I had chosen for my leader. He had been false to me, I said to myself, and the noble Turkey, seeing his behavior through the window, had watched to give him his deserts. My heart was full of gratitude. Once more Turkey drew near the window. What was my dismay and indignation to hear him utter the following words? If you weren't your father's son, Ronald, and my own old friend, I would serve you just the same. Wrath and pride arose in me at the idea of Turkey, who used to call himself my horse, behaving to me after this fashion and, my evil ways having half made a sneak of me, I cried out, I'll tell my father, Turkey. I only wish you would, and then I should be no tell-tale if he asked me why, and I told him all about it. You young blackguard, you're no gentleman, to sneak about the streets and hit girls with snowballs. I scorn you. 
You must have been watching, then, Turkey, and you had no business to do that, I said, plunging at any defense. I was not watching you. But if I had been, it would have been just as right as watching hockey. You ill-behaved creature. You're a true minister's son. It's a mean thing to do, Turkey, I persisted, seeking to stir up my own anger and blow up my self-approval. I tell you, I did not do it. I met Elsie Duff crying in the street because you had hit her with a dirty snowball. And then to go and smoke her and her poor granny till the old woman fell down in a faint or a fit, I don't know which. You deserve a good pummeling yourself, I can tell you, Ronald. I am ashamed of you. He turned to go away. Turkey, turkey, I cried. Isn't the old woman better? I don't know. I'm going to see, he answered. Come back and tell me, turkey, I shouted, as he disappeared from the field of my vision. Indeed, I won't. I don't choose to keep company with such as you. But if ever I hear of you touching them again, you shall have more of me than you'll like, and you may tell your father so when you please. I had indeed sunk low, when Turkey, who had been such a friend, would have nothing to say to me more. In a few minutes the master returned, and finding me crying, was touched with compassion. He sent me home at once, which was well for me, as I could not have repeated a single question. He thought Peter had crept through one of the panes that opened for ventilation, and did not interrogate me about his disappearance. The whole of the rest of that day was miserable enough. I even hazarded one attempt at making friends with Mrs. Mitchell, but she repelled me so rudely that I did not try again. I could not bear the company of either Alistair or Davy. I would have gone and told Kirsty, but I said to myself that Turkey must have already prejudiced her against me. I went to bed the moment prayers were over, and slept a troubled sleep. I dreamed that Turkey had gone and told my father, and that he had turned me out of the house. End of chapter 17